0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. If you would please direct your attention to the screens. We're going to be reading, uh, starting off with the scripture for for the day in Romans 2. Verses 1 through 11. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor And peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. The word of God for the people of God. Sure must be nice being the good guy. Nice share, Ralph. As fellow bad guys, we've all felt what you're feeling, and we've come to terms with it. Really? Right here. I'm Zangief, I'm bad guy. Hi, Zangief. Hi, Zangief. I relate to you, Ralph. When I hit bottom, I was crushing man's skull like sparrow egg between my thighs. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, why do you have to be so bad, Zangief? Why can't you be more like good guy? Then I have moment of clarity. If Zangief is good guy, who will crush man's skull like sparrow's egg between thighs? And I say, Zangief, you are a bad guy. But this does not mean you're bad guy. Right. right. I'm sorry, I just, uh, you lost me there. Zombie,
1: bad guy. Hi, zombie. Bye. Bye, zombie. <clears throat> Zangief saying, labels not
0: make you happy. Good, bad, Ugh. you must love you. Yeah, inside here. Yeah. Oh, whoa, okay. Oh, all right, I get you. Watch out, it's dripping. Question, Ralph. We've been asking you to bat on for years now, and tonight you, you finally show up. Why is that? I don't know. I just felt like coming. I mean, I suppose it has something to do with
1: the fact that, uh, well, today is the 30th anniversary of my game. Well, happy anniversary, Ralph. Thanks, Satan. Uh, it's sartine, actually. Got it. But here's the thing. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore.
0: Can't mess with the program, Ralph. You're not going turbo, are you?
1: Turbo? No, I'm not going turbo. Come on, guys. Is it turbo to want a friend? Or a medal? Or a piece of pie every once in a while? Is a turbo to want more out of life? Yes. Ralph, Ralph, we get it.
0: But we can't change who we are. And the sooner you accept that, the better off your game and your life will be. Mm. Hey, one game at a time, Ralph.
1: Now let's close out with the bad
0: guy affirmation. Mm. I am bad, bad. And, that's and that's good. I will never be good, and, and that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, gang, see you next week. Listen, I can't do snacks. Hang in there, Ralph zombie don't forget your hatchet Uh, there you go all right good morning my name is mark i'm the director of outreach here on campus and uh for many of you i'm going to give you some context around that is wreck it ralph it is a 2012 disney animated movie and what the premise of the movie is is ralph is a bad guy right and like zan but that does not make him a bad guy And then there are good guys in video games, right? This is the narrative. This is the narrative we see throughout, you know, the the sporting world, movies, all of our our mindset. It kind of gravitates toward this understanding of there being good people and bad people. Well, Wreck-It Ralph isn't wanting to accept that. And so he goes to this group meeting to kind of open up and share with everybody about how he doesn't want to be bad anymore. And the message he gets from the support group is, that you can't break out of that. You're always going to be bad. You, you can't become good. Don't, don't fight the system. There are good and there are bad, and just accept it. And in fact, if you're Zankief, don't only accept it, just celebrate it. I'm bad, and that's not bad. <laughs> and so what, uh, what we do as we transition now from chapter 1 into chapters 1 through 3 in the book. How many of you are following this in Sunday school classes, in small groups, in the Roman study? Quite a bit of you. Dr. Jason Leininger wrote the book, and we are in the... Um, second week of the Roman study and Jason covers a a pretty large swath of scripture he goes from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 20 and really the premise that that Paul is presenting to us is the human condition like where are we all at what do we do with sin and what do we do with how we treat each other and then what is God's response to that. And if you were here last week, I'm going to give you a little recap, um, if you were. And if you weren't here last week, uh, Jason and Bob opened us up with really uh, an incredible passage in Romans chapter 1, verses 16-17. to 17. Let's, let's look at that. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Romans 1.16 is a verse that really kind of captivated Martin Luther. It captivated uh, John Wesley. And it's, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of this good news. In fact, in the first 17 verses, Paul refers to the good news seven times in 17 verses. Specifically referencing this good news we call the gospel, right? And then in verse 18, he does this apparent shift, apparent contradiction, and he transitions to this verse. Verse 18, right after that he says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Whoa, Paul, what did you just do? You were talking about good news and then now this sounds like bad news. And then he'll spend the rest of chapter 1, chapter 2, and through verse 20 of chapter 3 talking to us about our sin and about God's righteous response to that sin. And so what I want to do, and you heard the passage from Romans 2 earlier, I want to kind of look at some various passages throughout chapter 3, and I want to open our minds up to the concept, to the idea, actually to the truth that judgment is not bad news that Paul did not make a theological shift here at all, that he isn't like giving us biblical whiplash and he's not trying to disturb us. He's actually continuing his train of thought and presenting judgment as good news. We're gonna look at judgment in three different aspects of it that present judgment as good news. The first is that judgment is universal. Look at Romans chapter three, verses twenty or ten and twelve through twelve. As the scriptures say, this is quoting the Old Testament. Paul says, "No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one." So here is what Paul is uh, saying. I love how Oswald J. Smith, um, a pastor from over an author from over hundred years ago. Uh, quoted, he was quoted as saying, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. If I could take all of Romans 1, 18 to 3, 20, I would, I would give it a summary statement. It would be that the problem of the human heart or the, at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And our issue is, is, is so bad that we not only see our sin wrongly, we see it hypocritically. Did you hear that verse that Jake read earlier? Let's look at it again. In in Romans 2, 1, it says, you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. So I uh, have this issue when I drive. I get super irritated at people who don't know how to drive. How many people in Springfield do not how to know how to drive? Can I get an amen from the congregation? Amen. All right. But you know what? I can't either. I stop at a stoplight and I'll kind of check my phone. Okay, that's a confession. Can you pray for me in that? I'm, I'm stopped at a stoplight. I don't do it while well, I'm but I'm checking my phone. And the light turns green. And, and this, this happened this week. And, and this guy honks at me, Right. You know that feeling you get when somebody honks at you? You're immediately defensive, right? And so I'm thinking, dude, come on. It's two seconds. How late are you? Do you really have to be somewhere that bad? And in the same day, I'm driving down Glenstone, and this person pulls out in front of me, and I'm like, seriously? You're going to pull right out in front of me? Are you you in that big a hurry? I'm about to preach this text. I'm having an experience on the roads that point out in a very lighthearted way how I view when other people drive inconsiderately differently than when I drive inconsiderately. Now, that's a lighthearted example. Let me go a little bit deeper and get a little heavier. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I hear some scripture, I'm a thinking person, and so I, like, push back. And so when I heard that verse, Romans 2.1, I kind of pushed back on Paul. It says that when you condemn others, uh, you do the very same thing. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I've never murdered anybody. So if I judge somebody who committed murder... I don't do the same thing, so that's not exactly true, is it? And then I think of the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that anyone who holds on to anger has committed murder in their heart. Oh, and those of you that have not ever committed adultery, Jesus also said that anyone who lusts after another person that is not their spouse has committed adultery in their heart. What? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying at our heart level, That our sin issue, our impossibility of seeing our sin for what it is, our hypocritical viewpoint of our own sin versus other sin, is at the core problem of the human condition. And it creates pain, it creates destruction, it fractures relationships, it is so much an issue as what is wrong in the world, and we don't even see it. All of it traced back to the condition in the human heart. So how is that good news? Well, God's judgment is universal. Here's why that is good news. It's good news because we're all on the same playing field. Nobody gets to be prideful. Nobody gets to look at Mother Teresa and say that she's better off than me and look at some you know, neighbor who's driving us crazy and letting their kids play in the street and say that we're better than them. We don't play that game. Romans just taught us that every single one of us, when it comes to standing before a holy, righteous God who desperately wants us to turn from our sin, we all stand with the same condition. We all stand with the same problem and with the same issue. Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. I love this quote. We have, may have come over on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. We may have all got here from different places, different upbringings, different parts of the world, different belief systems, but we're in the same boat now. We're all standing before God with the same problem. And if we all get judgment equally applied to us, then we all get mercy. And that's good news. The second thing we see in the texts from Romans 1 to 3 is God's judgment is delayed. God's judgment is delayed. Now, this is really good news. In 2 verse 5, it says... But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, um, God's righteous judgment, the second coming of Jesus Christ, has not happened yet. So as the scriptures say, he is waiting, he is patient, wishing that none would perish but that all would come to repentance. That's good news, amen? Amen. Now, in the McNelly House, we have this parenting technique. I don't know how many of you have used it. We're not child psychologists, so don't take and apply this if you don't want to. But we love to count to three, okay? We want to give our, our six- and eight-year-olds a chance, right? Go make your bed. One, one, two. They know if we get to three, consequences are coming. Go brush your teeth, Kinsley. Kinsley, one, two, right? How many of you have parented that way? Okay. Well, we do, and so what I've noticed is that they have this trigger reaction to wait until two, right? They never go do it on one, right? Mason, put your dish away. Mason, one, Uh, two, Uh, and then three, okay, 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 okay. So what that has taught me is they're gonna wait until the last minute, right? They're going to wait until the consequences are real. Until that happens, they're going to moan and groan <laughs> and grunt and complain under their breath. What that teaches us about our standing before God is that God is going one, two, three. By the generation, by the century, by the millennium. And so many of us humans are like, eh, I'll, I'll wait till he gets to three. And the true Christian, the person that understands judgment, the person that understands how badly and deeply God loves us and wants to turn us from our sin, not just so that we can get a ticket to heaven someday, but so that we can start living in close intimacy with him and intimacy and unbroken relationships with each other. God is up in heaven saying, don't wait till I get to three. Don't wait. Yeah, I'm patient and I'm tolerant and I'm kind. Scripture this morning in the midst of all of the judgment of Romans 1 to 3. Don't you see that God is patient and tolerant and kind? That it is his kindness that is meant to turn us away from our sin. Matt Myers is a guy who came to faith at Church at the Center about four years ago. And um, there he is. Yeah, he, he showed up back at Church at the Center last week. He's reengaging, so we're excited to see Matt back. Uh, but his testimony is pretty amazing. He was a uh, you know, drug dealer, grand theft, all of that stuff. And he ended up doing time for uh, going and this, this massive um, stealing project uh, from a, one of those uh, storage places so he's like clearing out multiple storage places and uh and he got tipped off and so he's got the trailer he's got all of on and he pulls up to the gate it's the middle of the night and all like a tv show there are all these suburbans and federal agents he goes mark you know what i did i go know what he goes i put my hands up <laughs> and then i went to prison i didn't play well with others <laughs> i got put in solitary And then I got out of prison and I came to church at the center and I heard the message of forgiveness and grace, absolution. Really this whole idea that God doesn't only forgive our sins, but he remembers them no more. And he thought, spiritually, I've got to do something kind of like what I did back in that parking lot. Spiritually, I've got to look at the righteous response of God to my sin and go, okay. (laughs) Okay, okay. I give. I can't stand underneath that. I'll take grace. I'll take mercy. I'll take, you know what? I'm not negotiating. <laughs> this isn't a negotiation. I'll turn from my sin. The third thing that makes God's judgment good news is that it's an invitation. God's judgment is an invitation. In chapter 2 verse 4 it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, even through the message of judgment, God is wooing us, God is calling us, God is inviting us, God is asking us, God is pursuing us. God doesn't, you know, I don't know if you grew up in one of those churches that likes to just beat the pulpit and preach hellfire and damnation and judgment every single week. Well, my feeling about that, I came to faith about 10 years ago, and so I didn't grow, under, grow up under that kind of preaching. My dad did. And here's what I think about that. I think that a wrong handling of judgment in preaching and teaching of the gospel can scare the hell out of people without, running, without bringing them into heaven. We can scare the hell out of people without loving them into the gates of heaven. And any time throughout Scripture, that God is telling us about judgment, telling us about his righteous response to our sin, it is an invitation for us to turn. In Romans 1, it says that God turns people over as the loving father in the good Samaritan or in the uh, prodigal son parable of Luke 15. He lets us go. He doesn't force us to repent and turn back to him and love and serve and obey him. He'll never do that. But he invites us. He's waiting for us, like the father on the porch when he sees us coming back, turning from our sin, arms open wide, saying, yes, you don't get judgment, you get mercy. Three things throughout this text that show us God's pursuing us. In Romans 1.20, it it says that he's displayed himself to all the world through creation. In 2.15, it says that God wrote his law on every human heart, Jew and Gentile and that he entrusted all of his revelation to the people of Israel. We see God calling out to us without forcing us, but calling us and inviting us back to himself. In Romans two twenty-eight to 29, Paul says, for you are not a Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced in the Spirit, by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. So the solution, if the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, then the solution to the human problem is the changed heart. It's us recognizing where our sin places us before a holy and righteous God, how it's destroying our relationship with him and each other, and responding to that by turning away from it. It's the biblical word repentance. This passage presents God um, as a judge, and I absolutely believe that that is one of the metaphors through scripture of, of how we understand God. But one I think that might be even more helpful today than that is God as a, as a physician, as a doctor. How many of you have been to the doctor before? Right? All of us have been to the doctor. This is a universal experience. And so the metaphor of God as a doctor, Jesus is referred to as the great physician. You may have heard him referred to as that. And we know God as a healing God. Is that if you come to a doctor and you've got a terminal illness, you've got a serious problem, and the doctor figures out what it is, has the diagnosis, is 100% positive of it, and then doesn't tell you. Just lets you go. No, everything's all right. Just keep up what you're doing. And sends you out that doctor's office to go back to living your life the way you were with no idea or concept of the thing that it is that is eating you up, that is tearing your body apart. Would we see that doctor as a good doctor? Would we believe that that doctor has his, his or her patients Best interest at heart. We wouldn't, would we? What we see through the text in Romans 1 through 3 and the presentation that Paul gives us of God's judgment is God as a loving doctor at, at our bedside sharing the news with us that seems like bad news, but it really leads us to a full understanding of the good news. Now, what I, wanna, what I wanna close with is seeing repentance, seeing God's kindness through the lens of Jesus. Because some people might think, well, it said God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So what is, that? what is God's kindness? Is it a concept? Is it a thing? Is it a teaching? Can I find it somewhere else in scripture? God's kindness isn't a thing. It isn't an idea or a concept, it's a person. God's kindness is a person. God's kindness is Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, God's judgment is universal. In Jesus, God didn't remain in heaven and look down and give us Holy Scripture, which is good, and send the Holy Spirit, which is good. He decided to come himself. He decided to come himself and teach all of the various full counsel of God, including judgment. And then he decided... After living the human experience just like us, hungered just like us, betrayed just like us, suffered just like us, suffered more than us on the cross. In Jesus, God's judgment is universal. In Jesus, God's judgment is delayed. You see, we, we find throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that God is waiting. He's patient. In the Old Testament, he's sending prophets. In the New Testament, obviously, Jesus comes. And the Spirit is constantly working on the church, Jesus' bride, you know, bringing, back, bringing us back to him continually. In Jesus, we see God's judgment is delayed. In Jesus, God's judgment is an invitation. On the cross, Jesus' arms are wide open. Now, in Roman crucifixion, it was necessary for them to nail his hands up on the cross like this. But do you see the imagery? What is the posture of every human being before a hug, right? It's this. It's the arms out. This is the position. This is the posture of God toward every one of us. As he gives us the hard message of judgment throughout Scripture and in this passage today, We see it through the lens of God himself on a cross, arms open wide, pleading with us to accept his invitation, to trade mercy, trade judgment for mercy. If you remember the Wreck-It Ralph clip, uh, Ralph has this thing inside of him that each one of us needs. He was a bad guy, and he didn't want to be a bad guy. He wanted to be a good guy. God wrote his law on every single human heart in this room today. God is wooing every single one of us in this room today. And just like Wreck-It Ralph, we need to to spark, to kindle, to stir that desire to turn back to God. That may not have happened for you in your life. You may not have turned to God, turned away from your sin. Some of us, we, we... fall back, right? We come to God, we have this amazing relationship, and then for whatever reason, we might walk away from God. But the message today is that God's kindness is leading us to repentance. In the Wreck-It Ralph, the tagline on the Badanon banner, I don't know if you noticed that, was for anyone who ever needed a restart on life. For anyone who ever needed a restart on life. So we're going to look at some Methodist liturgy. It's the uh, confession that is often done around the uh, sacrament of communion, and uh, I have to tell a story about this. At church at the center, we were doing um, the communion liturgy every week for a while, just to try to help teach the people the reasons. You know, you put the communion out there, and people that are just fre- coming fresh to the church, or coming back to the church, and, and you put the body and blood of Jesus out there, and, and you don't explain what it is. We saw that really causing a lot of trouble. And so we started doing the liturgy and we came to this confession and, and, and we're gonna read it in a second, but it's, it's kind of heavy. All of us, those of us together today that will read it, um, it's pretty heavy. It's, it's confessing that we have fallen far short from God. It's agreeing with Romans 3, the passage that none of us have done right, that even in our good works, sometimes we have bad motivation. Have you ever done something really good for somebody or to somebody and then looked back and go, why was I doing that? <laughs> Was I doing that to impress somebody? Was I doing that to gain their favor? Was I doing that to look, you know? Sometimes even our good works are badly motivated. In which case, we have a sin problem. And so this um, this large African-American lady, she was so sweet, just this kindest heart. She was bringing her husband when she could drag him. She would bring her husband. He was nice, not as into it. But the the three uh, high school kids would come, and, and they were great, and we were really loving and growing in relationship with them and we started doing this and she came up to me and she goes I can't come here anymore I was like what she goes yeah I can't come anymore that that confession you read that's not true about me I'm a good person and I was like well here's what it's really saying it's it's saying that we are um, if after we come to Christ we're saints and we're sinners you know in the issue with, are we want to be good, we turn to God, we can be good, we can open up our life to the Holy Spirit and have the fruit of this, but we still have the sin nature and we're confessing that together before God. No, I, I won't do that. Can I not say it? I was like, well, you can, you can not say it, but it's what we believe. And she said, I'm so sorry, I can't come back here. And that broke my heart, but it also gave me a moment of, like, in the, a moment of clarity, Gave me a moment of clarity. When it comes to judgment, when it comes to teaching everything about God, not only his mercy and grace, but his righteousness, his holiness, and his judgment and his right response to sin, we cannot waver. We cannot cave. We cannot do anything but present the fullness of the gospel. And she hasn't been back, and it breaks my heart. But we're going to say this confession. And anyone in the room, if you're not there yet, um, and you want to talk to a pastor or myself about making this step in your life, this huge step to turn from your sin and and to turn to the kindness and patience and mercy of God, receive salvation, you know, talk to Jake or Bob or Jason or Jim or myself. For the rest of us, for all of us that want to make this confession today our own, let's say these words together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending your Son to show us that your judgment is good news. That he accepts and receives and has offered himself to be judgment in our place for our sin so that we might receive relationship with you, intimacy with you, purpose with you. We ask that you would come into each one of our hearts, turn those of us that have yet to experience this grace and this reconciliation with you, turn us to you. For all of us who are your children, who have your Holy Spirit, stir us to worship. Stir us to be thankful. Stir us to give you the right praise for offering us mercy. We love you. And we respond really with the only thing we can, our hands up in the air and surrender to your glory. Amen.